0: Welcome to the Help & Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. I am your host, Sharon Betters. After the fatal car accident of our 16-year-old son, Mark, and his friend, Kelly, we didn't know how God was going to keep his promises of comfort. It just seemed impossible. And yet, he did keep those promises of comfort and his presence through other bereaved parents ahead of us in the grief journey. Friends, when we didn't know how our hearts could keep on beating, these precious people stepped back into their own pain to help us find our way. And as the dark clouds of sorrow slowly lifted, we knew we wanted to be that same source of hope for others, but not just for bereaved parents. We wanted to offer help and hope to anyone going through a life crisis. And one of the best ways we could do that was by sharing the stories of those ahead of us in life's journey who can call back with the comfort that God has given to them. And so part of our vision for Marking is to offer that help and hope to hurting people. And one of the ways that we fulfill our vision is by offering redemption stories like the one you are about to hear. Eric Shoemaker is my guest today. And we're talking about a topic that I think a lot of people don't even realize we need to talk about. And it is about the grief that a dad feels when his wife has a miscarriage. Eric Shoemaker is a pastor, an author, and a songwriter. He actually authored the novella My Last Name and he co-authored Worthy and Jesus and Gender with Elise Fitzpatrick. He has written the book that we're gonna be talking about today called Ours, Biblical Comfort for Men Grieving Miscarriage. This is a beautiful gift book. It's a 31-day devotional that gives comfort and practical support to men processing miscarriage and I highly recommend it. Eric, welcome to the Help and Hope
1: podcast. Yeah, thanks, Sharon, for having me on. I'm excited to to talk about this book with you.
0: Before we jump into our topic, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, well, I'm a pastor, an associate pastor in Ames, Iowa, and I've been married to Jenny for it'll be 24 years uh, at the end of the month. And We have five children together. Uh, Our oldest uh, turns 20 today as we record. And (laughs) our youngest is 10 years old. And so um, we have uh, four boys and one girl, and our girl is number four.
0: No doubt. You are very busy raising four boys and a girl, as well as being a pastor, a writer, and even a songwriter. So Eric, I am so grateful you are giving us this time to talk about miscarriage from a man's perspective. In fact, I don't know of any other resources designed for men who have experienced miscarriage. So why don't you tell us why you wrote this book on this particular topic?
1: So uh, Jenny and I experienced four miscarriages and they were all four at different points of uh, pregnancy. And you know, growing up, I I think the first time I ever heard about miscarriage was maybe in high school uh, when I heard mention of a relative that had had a miscarriage. And then I don't think it was uh, until I was in seminary that I started hearing about more couples having miscarriage, and the first time that I ever heard man talk about his experience with miscarriage was uh, Dr. Uh, Russell Moore, who was my theology professor, and uh, he would share about how their miscarriages affected him and his relationship with the Lord and his struggles with grief and all that in our, in our class. And I remember just feeling like that was very unique. And we ended up having uh, no complications with our first three pregnancies. And so at that point i was sort of not expecting miscarriage to hit us as we had more children even though statistically you know that was that was probable but when it did hit us i just realized i i was unprepared with how to cope with it and how to speak with it and how to think about it as a man as a husband and father and and so I couldn't really find any resources on that on that subject, and so we sort of made it through the best that, that we knew how. And uh, and then uh, just a few years ago, uh, Emily Jensen from Risen Motherhood, their ministry asked me to write an article on the father's experience with miscarriage uh, for their website, so that you know moms who've experienced miscarriage could know how to help their husbands and what their husbands might be experiencing. And that received a lot of response from both men who would write me and say, you're the first person that I found that seems to understand uh, what, what I've been going through. And, and also wives who've just said, thank you, I've been scouring the internet for a resource for my husband. And so a few years ago, Abby Wedgworth wrote her book, Held. and. It, she asked me to contribute something similar on a man's perspective. And so when I received the book, it was just so beautifully packaged and well done. I wrote The Good Book Company right away and said, you, you really need to offer one of these for men, and I want to write it. And they were they were gracious enough to take a risk on this book because they're, as far as we know, I don't think there is another Christian resource that is specifically targeted to men who are walking through miscarriage. And there's there's just been a lot of great response so far. So I'm I'm grateful to them for taking that chance.
0: And Eric, what is the title?
1: Ours, uh, Biblical Comfort for
0: Men Grieving Miscarriage. It is a beautiful gift book. And it's available anywhere, is it? Yeah,
1: anywhere you can buy books, yeah.
0: And of course, we will have the purchase info in the show notes as well. Eric, I think a lot of people might be surprised about the reaction of a dad to the loss of a child through miscarriage. What would you say are some of the struggles a man might experience after miscarriage?
1: Yeah, you know, we often don't think of the fact that men might struggle with a miscarriage. and. And I think that's sad. You know, there's obvious reasons why we associate miscarriage with women is because they get pregnant and their bodies go through all the changes to become pregnant and their body is miscarrying this pregnancy and and going through all of those physical trials. Uh, But, you know, we as a church being pro-life, you know, we... We value life in the womb as a as a human being, and so we you know we live now in a day and age. It wasn't like this um, several decades ago, but men are now going to ultrasounds, you know, uh, to see the baby with the mom and accompanying her to hear the first heartbeat, and we expect fathers and husbands to be involved and interested in the pregnancy. And the same when baby's born. You know, we want the, the father can be there now in the labor and delivery room, and, and we expect fathers to be interested in these children. But for some reason, and we, we don't expect them to grieve when uh, a child's lost in the womb. And, and that's a sad thing that that's been, that's been overlooked because, you know, fathers have hopes and dreams that begin to develop. And... It's so, you know, this, this loss of a child is is a loss of a child for a father as well, you know? And they're going to go through the, this would have been the due date, or this might have been, you know, the first birthday, or this child would be going to off to school. And and they've been preparing. I think also brings some challenges as husbands, you know, we, we have this natural inclination to protect and provide for our wives and our family and miscarriage is one of those sufferings that you feel so helpless in because you couldn't protect your wife and you couldn't protect your child there's nothing that you could have done and you're left wondering what you should do and i think it's i think it's compounded by the fact that we just don't hear men speaking publicly about it and so men are left wondering uh, what they should say, what they can say, how they can grieve. And I think also men feel like because they're not physically suffering in the way that their wives are, sometimes we feel like, boy, you know, drawing attention to my own grief might seem like it's trying to minimize the, the suffering that she's going through. Uh, which I really don't think is the case, because I think I've found a lot of uh, moms wondering, well, why isn't he grieving? And why isn't he showing that he's sad? You know, I feel like I'm suffering through this alone. And it can actually be helpful to to share that grief uh,
0: with your wife. Having experienced deep grief myself, I know that grief is such a unique journey. It depends on so many different aspects, uh, your personality, the circumstances, so I know that you will agree that we can make recommendations and suggestions, but a mom and dad have to figure out what applies to them. However, I also know that one thing that is universal in helping others experiencing great loss is simply acknowledging their pain and that sometimes we don't know what to do. Eric, you turn to scripture and in particular, the story of Elizabeth and Zachariah in Luke. Tell us why you started there.
1: Yeah. So, you know, for listeners, the book is 31 devotions out of the Gospel of Luke. And so uh, each day has a recommended passage, starting with Luke 1, moving through the end of Luke. And then I offer a brief devotional thought about that, then with some prayer prompts and space for journaling and so forth. And I, I wanted to start with Scripture, and I specifically wanted to go to a gospel, because for one, I know that a lot of men don't read, and so if I'm going to get them to read a book, I want them to come face-to-face with Jesus, and I want them to see Jesus as a man who wept and grieved and understood suffering and loved suffering people. But I also loved that Luke, uh, you know, opens with Elizabeth and Zechariah. You know, they're a barren couple. And the Lord also says that they were righteous. You know, that's how Luke describes them, that they were righteous, but they couldn't have children. And that probably included several miscarriages along the way. And so it's just a good reminder that struggles with infertility aren't a marker that you're cursed by God, because here's this righteous couple that is barren. And it's also a reminder of how often in the storyline of Scripture, as we're, you know, looking for the seed of the woman to be born and following that line that will become, you know, the, the ancestry of Jesus, there's just barrenness all along the way. And then, of course, we see Elizabeth conceive, and then Mary conceive, and they meet. You know, and John is leaping with joy in the womb to meet uh, not only his cousin but his Redeemer. And it's just a reminder that God pays attention to, cares about what happens in the womb, and He's not ignorant of it, and He's very interested with babies. And that's that's where the story starts: is with these two. Wombs, so to speak, you know, a barren one and a virgin one, and and they both conceive. And so, you know, as a man who might feel like you and your wife are grieving alone and you're unseen. And, you know, Jesus knows and he cares, and you're not alone and you're not unseen to God.
0: The relevance of scripture for moms and dads experiencing miscarriage, barrenness, or infertility. Might surprise some of our listeners. So, could you mention a couple of other stories in Scripture that can be a source of comfort to parents dealing with infertility or childlessness?
1: Wow, uh, we have so many options. One, one of my favorites that we often don't associate with that is Ruth. When Naomi and her family move off to Moab, and her sons take Moabite wives, I think I think it says they're married for like ten years. And you know, in, in that culture you weren't waiting a decade to have children. And so I think that's a sign that they were barren. And especially the um, prayer that the women pray, the blessing after she marries Boaz, I think you know they mention Boaz's barren ancestors and um, women in that line. And I think that's a line, too, the women understood that she hadn't been able to have children. And that book is all about how really her covenant faithfulness rescued the line of the redeemer that was you know in hindsight in in jeopardy and and we see this in Tamar who was you know was unable to have children and her husband died without children uh Rachel and Leah you know all these stories where we have these barren women and and I think it's very significant because how frequently that occurs because you know the promise is that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent and so this struggle with infertility is really sort of a crisis in the storyline of saying is this is this redeemer going to be born Is is he going to arrive and you would think that God would be bringing about uh, this strong, mighty Redeemer through the, the strength of f- uh, very fertile women, so to speak. But Paul reminds us that God chooses the weak and foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and he's always taking what looks like weakness and turning it around for his redemptive purposes. And And I think that should should give us hope, whether we're we just experienced a miscarriage or we're struggling with long-term infertility, that these are the kind of situations the Lord loves to work through to do His work in the world. And so we shouldn't think that He's passed over us when he's you know handing out blessings. but even as we weep and we grieve and we mourn. We should be expectant that, that he's going to
0: do something even through this. Eric, imagine there is a man listening who really resonates with what you were saying. Maybe he is even in tears because his own grief is so fresh, but he's hidden those tears because he has thought, why am I feeling like this? This isn't about me. My wife is the one who had the baby growing inside of her. We don't even have a baby but I have all of this grief inside of me, but I I don't want to take anything away from her. I want to be the one to help her. How can he deal with those feelings?
1: Yeah. Uh, The first thing I would remind him is that he is a father and he's lost a child. And it's not just his, and I think that's what the book reflects ours. It's not just his wife's miscarriage uh, it's yours together and and she knows that and i would suspect she wants you to feel that too she she welcomes your grief because this was your child together and it is absolutely appropriate to mourn the loss of a child you were preparing to father and raise this child and now that's been taken away from you for Reasons we can't understand, and and I would remind a man that you know our Savior was a suffering servant. He lived as a man who was acquainted with grief, and we see that you know as he stands outside the tomb of his friend Lazarus, and John describes how Jesus wept. You know, these, this was this was sobbing, a full breakdown, weeping that he experienced over the death of his friend, even though he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. He, he didn't put on a strong spiritual face that we might think of. He, he sobbed and wept. And, and John even describes how he was—I forget the word John uses, but it's the, it's the word for a war horse, you know, snorting. It's, it's a word for deep anger, and, and Jesus was deeply angered at death because— You know, sin is an unwelcome intruder into this world, and it brings death, and it's not how things should be. And so those emotions are, they're not only appropriate, but they're good. And I would even say they're signs of faith, because when you express those things, anger at death, uh, sadness over death, what, what you're saying is, is I believe there is a God, and he created this world, and that God is good, and this isn't a world now that reflects his glory and his, his character. It's, it's a cursed world, and it's, it's filled with death, and uh, in, our, in our anger at death and in our weeping, we're actually agreeing with God that what was very good is not good. It's, it's corrupted, and it's
0: in need of redemption. Well, that sounds like a good definition of lamenting. Wow. That sounds like a good definition of lamenting. We're running toward him with our grief, not away from him. Eric, I think it is such a confusing time in our culture for many reasons, but I think men might be even more confused about their roles, maybe more confused than we realize, especially when it comes to babies on the one hand in our culture. A man is responsible for a pregnancy. And and I think we would all agree with that, no matter what culture we're in. But on the other hand, he has no say over the life of the baby before birth. And of course, I'm thinking in particular about abortion, where the father may have very little to say about what the decisions are. And he may wonder why he has all this grief since he hears, it's not really a baby. It's just a clump of cells. What does he do with all of those confusing emotions? It was striking to me to
1: have this book released right as the Dobbs decision was made, overturning Roe v. Wade, because it's such a strange time to navigate miscarriage as there's a national debate about abortion going on. Because we have a culture that is very, it wants to be very attuned to people's suffering and the hardships they're facing. And so it, I think on the one hand, it wants to affirm the grief of miscarriage. But at the same time, it's, it's trying to defend the fact that life in the womb can be ended at will and isn't and doesn't have the full rights of a human being. And I I remember back when Jenny and I experienced—I think our third miscarriage—it was the most difficult to go through. And we got home from the hospital, and I was going out to pick up a prescription for her. And on the radio was a was some legislation going on in Iowa for uh, abortion, and so there was this debate going on. And there was a state legislator on the radio who said, "I." You know, I, and he was he was pro choice and he said, I don't know what the big deal is. We're only talking about abortion, you know, up to this point. And it was the same number of weeks where we had lost our child. And so there on the radio was a politician referring to our child as a just, you know, just this many weeks, and sort of a political football. And we we had just sat in a hospital and held this little one in the palm of our hands and that that that's a difficult, that's a difficult thing to hear uh, as you're grieving.
0: Wow. Yeah. Our culture, uh, we are a very confused culture about what truth is. And I, I just can't help but wonder if that politician would feel the same if he was dad in the hospital room, holding his baby in the palm of his hands, if, if he would consider what he said on on the radio truth at that point you know in the middle of all of these voices that we hear we have to remember there is one that is unchanging and truly our only real source of comfort and and you know eric uh, that scripture where we know that the lord tells us before we were even born he knows us he he is the one that created us in our mother's womb and um he is the creator of life and so i that's why it hurts so much when we lose these babies before we can know them. So, you know, thinking about that fear uh, and and the sorrow that you experienced, how did you overcome that how do you overcome the fear of another loss after multiple miscarriages? And how can you choose to enjoy the pregnancy and attach to your baby knowing that you might not ever be able to have this baby? In your life,
1: it's um, yeah, it's hard. And I think you said something important earlier that you know every every person is unique, every marriage is unique, and every miscarriage is unique. And so, uh, you know, I can only speak to my own situation where we had three live births uh, and healthy children before we experienced our first, and our first was very early on, and we, you know, we had found out. That Jenny was pregnant, and the next day, you know, she started bleeding, and we hadn't really become very accustomed to the thought that we were pregnant and all that. And I don't think it hit us as hard as some of the other miscarriages did. And and we also felt like, well, this is one in four, you know, this is the statistical probability. And then our our next child was born uh, without without complication. But then when you know we had we had uh four children and we had our next miscarriage you know we were wanting to have another and this one was a little further on and it it really hit us and it was it was really hard to walk through and then uh we had two in a row and the second one was um actually A little further along and we were we went into the hospital to have Jenny induced for that one to to deliver the baby. And it was the same week we were in the hospital was the due date of the previous miscarriage. And so it was it was really complicated. And in God's strange sovereignty a year later, our number five was born in that same week. But I I remember, you know, after two in a row it It really felt like with the next pregnancy, you were just sort of waiting for the other shoe to drop it It was it was I think there was a certain point where we felt more confident, but there is this oh, how do we how do we go through this again? And I, and I think it took a, a lot of prayer and talking, you know putting ourselves in the hands of a, of a sovereign and kind father. Um, and sometimes people can say really hard and unhelpful things uh, in miscarriage. And one of those is a promise that you'll have another child. Nobody can promise that. But you know, I'm sure you'll have, other, you'll have kids, nothing to worry about. Well, that doesn't happen for everyone. And so um, you can't put your hope in statistics. You can't put your hope in platitudes. Or even well-intentioned friends. Um, you know, childbearing is is such a it, it's natural, but we use the word miracle because it is so out of our control. and And really, we just we keep turning to Christ and putting our hope in him as our treasure and our reward, and trusting he'll get us through whatever
0: whatever the next pregnancy brings. Such a good reminder that every baby is a miracle. I, sometimes I hold a new baby and I think, where did you come from and how did you get here? So many things have to go right. It, it's a wonder that any of us are here, I think, sometimes. Eric, as we continue our conversation, how would you recommend that a wife help her husband to encourage him when he is trying to help her?
1: Yeah, that is, a, that is a great question. One, I would say, I would encourage patience uh, to allow him to grieve in his time and his way. And that doesn't mean that you don't ask him questions or encourage him to talk, but just realize he may not process the loss in the same way at the same time as you do. And sometimes that's actually a part of God's grace, because you know, the woman is going through this, you know, you're going through this physically as your body is going through this whole process, and, and that can be very painful and drawn out and complicated. There's Miscarriages can be simple, and they can be very difficult. And so he learns of this, and the first thing a, a father's often asking is, well, what can I do? And he's going to spring into... Uh, fix it mode, and he can't fix the miscarriage. But he'll he'll often move into, you know, if you have other children, making sure that they're taken care of and getting to where they need to go, making sure that you're comfortable, making sure meals are prepared, um, and all those things. And so, in that first week, he might not even be registering that he's lost a child. And, and I hear that sometimes from moms who will say, I feel alone in my grief because he's not expressing any sadness. And when I ask him what he's feeling, he's like, well, it's kind of sad, but I'm not really feeling anything right now. And sometimes that will come, that'll hit him later. And, um, and it might actually be, you've processed it some, um, and you're beginning to re-engage with quote-unquote, normal day life, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he's sad and he's struggling, and sometimes the Lord gives us that so that we can help each other when one's weak, the other can be strong. Invite him to share his grief, because as we've discussed, he might be thinking, you know, this is something she's going through, you know, she has the cramping and the bleeding, and maybe you had to go through a, a medical procedure, and he's thinking, I I want to take care of her. This isn't about me. Um, And to say, just to say to him, you know, this was our baby and it's okay for you to be sad and to grieve or to say, I really need you right now. Um, Could you, could you ask some friends to bring over meals or, or to take care of the kids or to do some of these things? What, what I'd really like is for you to just sit with me and, you know, to ask him not to pressure him or, you know, to to pester him or nag him or, you know, like dig in, but to ask him some questions. Uh, maybe he's a man who doesn't really know how to express his feelings, to ask him, you know, what are you feeling right now? Are you feeling any shame or disappointment or what are you afraid of or what are you going to miss? And for him to be able to answer questions like those might be able to, to get a little opening for his heart to come out.
0: And now she can give him your book.
1: Yes. Yes. (laughs) I would recommend that.
0: And that's something they can do together too.
1: Yes. Yeah. 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 And, and the, the good book company has is selling them together at a really good discounted price for both books. And so they don't go through the same passages, but uh, I think you can, You can, as a couple, say, hey, let's do this together and each take 10, 15 minutes to sort of go through our own devotion and come back and share one thing that you learned. And I think that's a really helpful place to start with conversations.
0: And what is the name of the book for mothers?
1: The other book is is named Held, and it's by Abby Wedgworth. And I don't remember her subtitle, but I think it's 31 devotions, uh, for those grieving miscarriage or something like that,
0: and we will have that information in the show notes as well. Eric, we're going to be wrapping up in a few minutes, but I did want to ask you about how important your theology is, especially your view of God as your Father, when you are feeling alone.
1: Well, you know that's that's one of the one of the reasons I picked a gospel is because you know, I can share my story, and that might bring a sense of solidarity to another man, but my story can't redeem him, and it can't, it can't help him in that way. And the story of Jesus is really, in, really important. And, you know, I went through, I went through Luke, but I, I love the opening of John's gospel, where he says that no one has ever seen God. But he who is at the Father's right hand has made him known. Um, And that that word for made known is the word uh, exegesis that we use for interpreting, you know, like unpacking Scripture. And when we see Jesus, we see what the Father is like. He is the exact representation of his nature. He is fully God. And Jesus said, I'm gentle and lowly at heart that's that's the kind of father that God the Father is he's he's gentle he's lowly he loves compassion he loves mercy and grace if he feeds sparrows and you know clothes lilies he's going to take care of his children he knows how to give them good gifts um and uh we have we have in our God, we have a father who watched his child die. And so he's well acquainted with being a bereaved father, so to speak. And, and we see that in the son as well, that he, you know, the author of Hebrews said he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he could be Uh, A merciful high priest, uh, not just so he could atone for our sins, but so that he could give us help in every temptation. And so, even though Jesus was never a father himself, he's walked through things that make him understanding and sympathetic to what we're going through. But what makes Jesus and what makes God the Father so different than an earthly friend or an earthly father is not he doesn't just have the best of hearts, but he has the strength, you know, the sovereignty to be able to do what's right. And so his words to us and his promises of comfort aren't just wishful thinking. He is actually going to keep them and nothing can stop him. And so, you know, that word that, all things work together for the good of those um, who love God and are called according to his purpose, you know, those can sting if they're given in the wrong way (laughs) and at the wrong time. But it is a reminder that the Father really is going to do what's good for us, and that is to, you know, he's predestined us to be conformed into the image of his Son. And Jesus is the perfect human being and the most beautiful expression of God's glory ever. And God's conforming us into his image. And that's part of this suffering is that he's making us like the suffering servant
0: uh, so that we can shine in glory with him. I really appreciate the picture you paint. It's so beautiful seeing the fatherhood of God in his son, Jesus. And I know that our theology is so critical. so critical when we experience the death of our 16-year-old son, Mark. And going back to those pillars of our faith when our emotions were just all over the place and remembering that his word is unchanging, even though sometimes they don't make a whole lot of sense. But I remember making a very specific choice to, uh, in my own heart that God's word is unchanging. And even though I don't understand it, I'm going to believe it. I am going to put my flag right here and know that this is the only way that I'm going to survive this, this terrible, terrible grief. So friends, your theology is so critical. It is so important as tragedy hits our lives. And it's where our comfort is going to come from when we learn what the scriptures teach us about this, the character of God and his love and his sovereignty. Eric, as we wrap up, can you just speak to that dad who really is struggling? Maybe he, he's he got great theology, but it, it isn't making any sense. And he feels like it it is just all tumbling down around him. And he's filled with anger. He's angry at God. He's angry that his wife is so brokenhearted. She doesn't deserve this. And maybe she can't move in a direction toward normalcy. And that's breaking his heart. And he knows that he can't do anything to fix her. And that's breaking his heart. He's a man who believes in the sovereignty of God, and he knows that his anger toward God is not doing anybody any good, but he doesn't know how to move past it or through it. Can you just speak to him for a minute?
1: Yeah, that's a, wow, that is a, that's a hard situation. One thing I would encourage him is to flip through the Psalms and find some Psalms of lament, because some of the words that he wants to speak to God, and sometimes the reason the the anger boils is because he hasn't spoken them. <laughs> yeah, he, and God inspired those laments where there's some deep anger and deep questions. And what amazes me is that God inspired these psalms through the Holy Spirit for us to speak them to him. Um, you know, uh, one of the wonderful things about the gospel is it reminds us that in the cross of Christ... God has already condemned all of our sin, and that means he knows all about it. And so there's no use trying to hide it from him. Go to him and tell him that your, anger, that your anger is there, and that it's controlling you, and that you can't overcome it, because Christ has already overcome it. You know, stop trying to fight it on your own terms, and ask him for grace and mercy through his Son. And and I think to remember that the, the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Uh, your anger isn't going to change this. And, I, you know, I would, I would encourage him to continually go back to the cross, to remind him that what his wife needs is his kindness and his patience and his love. I would encourage him to maybe seek out a, um, you know, a a pastor to talk to, maybe even a therapist to talk to, because this is a common experience and it's not one that you need to be uh, ashamed of. It's one that, you know, true strength in the situation is not to hide it and stuff it down. True strength is to say, I need help and to find uh, those skilled people that God's given us to provide help.
0: Eric, thank you so much for spending this time with us. Friends, I'm Sharon Betters, and you have been listening to the Help and Hope podcast. And my guest has been Eric Shoemaker, and his book that we have been talking about is called Hours, and it is a 31-day devotional written specifically for dads who have experienced miscarriage. Uh, and it's unique. I don't know of any other book like it. It's beautifully designed by the publisher as a gift book. I. I want to highly recommend it as a gift for a dad, perhaps a gift for a mom and dad together. Or you could give them Eric's book and the companion book called Held. We have all of the information in our show notes where you can order these books. I know that it is one that you will want to have on hand, one that you will want to pass on to a couple, to a dad who have experienced miscarriage. Eric, thank you again so much for being with us. And I hope that as God is using this conversation to encourage you, or you know that it's someone that your friend needs to hear, I hope that you will pass it on. I hope that you will share it on social media, that you will leave a rating. The only way that people will really be able to find us is by word of mouth. And so you can help us do that. I would also love for you to share a comment. Let us know how the Help and Hope podcast are encouraging you to walk by faith. It's our hope that as you are walking on that pathway where God has placed you, that you will remember that God is sovereign and you can trust him. Again, I'm Sharon Betters. Thank you so much for joining us for this Help and Hope podcast. Thank you for listening to this Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Visit markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org to find additional free resources on a variety of topics. Online counseling services are also available through Anchored Hope Biblical Counseling by visiting helpandhopenow.org. That's helpandhopenow.org. Download the Help & Hope app on your mobile device. Hope is just one click away.